John chapter 21, and I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open, if you would, after we read the scripture. Beginning in verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. And they said unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty-three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Would you stretch your hand this direction and pray God's blessing and anointing upon his word and upon his servant today? Let's pray together. Father, we call upon you right now, thanking you and praising you for the good gift of eternal life. And I pray right now that as we dive into your word in this spirit-charged atmosphere, that you would touch the heart of the hearer. You would minister to each and every one. Lord, that I would communicate as you have directed and that lives and hearts would be changed. The enemy would love to keep us from being fruitful in the kingdom of God. But we renounce him today. We reject the lies that he tries to plant within our mind and within our heart. We believe that you're going to speak to us through your word, and we give you thanks for it. In Christ's precious name, and the church said, amen. Last week, we celebrated resurrection. Today, I want to talk about the resurrection of the call. The resurrection of the call. I have always, for many years, found that the miracles of Jesus are fascinating. Not just because they show his power and his might over creation and disease, 
but they also convey messages of revelation as to who He is and His purpose in our lives. I've noted that in the Gospels, on more than one occasion, miracles or events seem not to just happen once, but they happen twice. I've always found that to be fascinating. For example, one time he fed 5,000 men plus women and children with loaves and fishes. And then not long after that, he turned around and fed 4,000 in a totally different setting with loaves and fishes. The beginning of his earthly ministry in John chapter 2 and at the end of his earthly ministry, he cleansed the temple, not once, but twice. And he drove out those who had made a mockery of the temple of God. And there are not one, but two miraculous catches of fish. One is found in Luke chapter 5, and the other is found in John 21. I believe the first in Luke chapter 5 has to do with the initial call to ministry. See, in Luke chapter 5, some of the disciples are they're being summoned by the Lord. He's teaching the people, and the people are pressing in around him. So much that he needed more room to minister to the crowd. And so he climbed into Simon Peter's boat and asked him to thrust out from the land. And he sat down and taught the people. Then he told Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch of fish. Peter's response was, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. They suddenly took in so many fish that their nets began to break. And, and they had to have their partners from the other boats to come. And, and both ships began to sink as they filled the ships with the countless fish that the Lord miraculously provided. Peter fell down at Jesus' feet. And he cried out and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And that's when the awesome calling took place. As Jesus looked at these fishermen and he said these words, fear not, for from now on, from this moment forward, you're going to catch men. The Bible says when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed the Lord. The calling was in place. And let me just stop here and say to every single soul in this room, you have a divine purpose. Let me say to everyone here, you have a personal mission that has been assigned to you from Almighty God that you will give an account for. Every single one of us are called by God. All of us. No matter your age, your background, no matter your economic status, you are called and chosen by the Lord. So the calling's in place. We see that happen. But then Peter, I told someone before service, we're going to pick on Peter again today. Peter called of God, chosen by God, chosen by Jesus. He dies spiritually. Now, I rehearsed extensively for you last week about Peter, some of the things that happened. So I'll just, I'll capsulize it this morning. 
But Peter was the one that walked on water and yet could be in other people's affairs instead of his own. He could in one moment be used by the Spirit of God to give great revelation as to who Jesus was and then be rebuked a few moments later for being used by Satan in hindering the mission of Christ. It was Peter who told Jesus, I will go to prison and I will die for you. And then Peter denied the Lord three times. I submit to you this morning that on that day when Peter denied the Lord, he died spiritually. It's been debated in the church for over 2,000 years. Can a person who has known the Lord, can they lose out in their relationship with God? And I would share with you today that it seems more and more prevailing than ever before in word ministry and even in gospel music, this pervasive theology that once a person has committed himself to the Lord, he cannot lose his salvation. And I want to tell you something. One of the biggest concerns I have with this pervasive theology is that it lends itself to cheap grace without a change in someone's life. <laughs> I'll travel this boat alone if I have to. Jesus came down on the believers in the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 3. Not because they had lost their love for him, but because they had left their love for him. Because they had walked away. He rebuked a whole church. He called a whole church out that were going through the motions of church week in and week out. He was acknowledging even their stand against the unrighteousness influence of that time and of that day. And yet he said, I have this against you, not because you lost your love for me, but because you have left your love for me. It's a sobering thought that a whole church could lose out with the Lord. That a whole church could walk away from their love for Christ and yet still go through the mechanics of religion. And what I'm here to preach to you today is that when Peter denied Jesus on that fateful day, he did not lose his love for Jesus. He left his love for Jesus. He chose a deliberate path in denying the Lord. He said, well, I don't know if I buy that. Well, if you don't believe me, believe the word of God. Because in Peter's denial, Jesus had predicted to Peter, he had prophesied to Peter that he was going to deny him three times. And then he said these words to Peter in the midst of that discourse, in, in the midst of that prediction. He said, Simon Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. Watch this. And when thou art converted, when thou art converted, I'm going to say it again, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. In other words, when you're converted, 
from darkness to light. When you're converted from following the whims of the flesh to once again following me. When you're converted. You know, the last time I checked, somebody uses the word conversion. That means a sinner has knelt at an altar of prayer and has found Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. The last time I heard conversion, it meant that someone that was walking in darkness is now walking in light. And so I want you to understand that conversion is salvation. And so it is implied there that Jesus, in predicting his denial, is also saying that Peter, for a few moments or a few hours or for the three-day weekend, is going to lose out with the Lord. Second, let me point something out to you today, and it's a scripture I used last week. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 7, the angel said, go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is going into Galilee. And last week I was led to share with you about Jesus in his compassion calling for Peter by name. But let us not miss this reality. As much as the Lord is a Lord of compassion, he is also a Lord of truth. And he was not going to call Peter a disciple if he was no longer a disciple. Now somebody help me here this morning. I'm telling you I kind of feel like I'm, I'm, I'm working through some murky waters. But I want to acknowledge today from my impression of scripture and that is that during this time of denial Peter is not a disciple of the Lord he is not a follower of the Lord but I want to say this also I'm so thankful for a savior of second chances who extends grace to every single one of us who have failed him a thousand times I'm telling you you're looking at a trophy of grace if there ever was one I didn't just fail him once or twice I'm telling you, I've served him many, many years. And in that many, many years, I have failed the Lord. And I have sinned against the Lord. And I've had to repent. And yet, there were some times that it went even darker than that. There were some times that in my denial and in my rebellion, I walked away from the Lord. And I forsook his body. And I forsook my relationship with him. And I will stand on the word of God and say that if the Lord would have called me out into eternity during that period of time I would have been lost and separated from God but thanks be unto God his grace is sufficient for every time I was weak he was strong and there were times that I ran away from him but thank God I can tell you today that I ran back to him I found his grace was still there I found his mercy was still there I found that his blood was still flowing. I found out that though I was blackened in my backslidden condition, the grace of Jesus Christ come down and restored me into a right relationship with the Lord. Am I the only one in the house today that's known what it's like to live backslidden and yet come back to the Lord and find He was there all the time? Hallelujah, hallelujah. So while Jesus had physically died, Peter had spiritually died. And while Jesus was resurrected in glory and power, Peter needed to be resurrected because he was dead in his trespasses and sins. And I want to say to anyone in this house, you can still lay down your grave clothes of denial. 
you can still lay down your grave clothes of rebellion. And you can come back to spiritual life this day, this hour, this moment. Jesus is still resurrecting. He's still restoring. He's still reviving. He's still refreshing. Because Jesus lives, you can live also. For a few moments, let me talk about the resurrection of the call. Because on the back side of that denial, somewhere between the Lord's resurrection and this gathering on the seashore, there's been a private encounter between Jesus and Peter. I believe during that private encounter, the resurrected Lord has resurrected Peter. But I want to say this to you, and that is this. You can be restored to spiritual life and still be dead to your calling. I've seen people come back to the Lord. But I've also seen people that have come back to the Lord that refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to stir up the gift that is within them. John 21, the, the whole scene kind of depicts defeat. There's been no directive from the Lord. A lot of Bible scholars believe that these guys are kind of in their hopelessness or their fatigue or their anxiety, their depression. They don't know what to expect in the future. So somebody pipes up, namely Peter said, I'm going fishing. In other words, there's a trace back to my old vocation. Maybe I've been given a directive from the Lord to do that. Maybe that was to go deal with some of the things they were going through. Their efforts to catch fish, once again, are met with failure. And then, when they hear Jesus call out, now, the scripture says it's the third time the disciples have seen the Lord. So Peter has seen the Lord at least three, maybe even four times. And he calls out to them and they don't even recognize who he is. Their spiritual vision is blinded. And I share with you this morning that the reason why John 21, I believe, happened was because even though Peter had an encounter with Christ, he needed to have an encounter with the call of God upon his life. It's a similar command as in Luke 5 when they were initially called. But there's some significant differences. In Luke chapter 5, they're told to launch out and let down. Here, they're already out. He just told them to cast their net on the right side of the boat. In Luke chapter 5, the net broke. Because of so many fish. But in John 21, the net did not break. In Luke chapter 5, there are countless fish. But in John chapter 21, there are exactly 153 fish. Interesting differences. Maybe one of these days I'll kind of dive into that a little more specifically. But I want to note a few things today. This is important. 
some observations. Number one, here Peter went hard after the Lord. In Luke chapter 5, he fell down and said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He's no longer saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He's jumped out of the boat. Now, the scripture said he was naked. We won't talk about that. But he did have enough decency to put a coat on. And he dove into the chilly waters because he suddenly realized that that was Jesus on the shore. May I say to someone this morning, now is not the time to run from the Lord, even if you've transgressed a thousand times. I'm telling you, he said, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you, and I have ordained you so that you may go and bear much fruit. Well, you don't know how many things I've done wrong. You don't know how long I strayed from the Lord. I'm telling you, God still has a calling upon your life. Now is not the time to uh, pretend to be unworthy. Now's the time to go hard after Jesus in the confidence that he loves you. He has called you. He will make you fruitful. The devil wants us to live with a beat up, shattered confidence. He wants to whisper in our hearing, you can never be a child of God much less work in the Lord's kingdom. <laughs> but I've come by to refute the devil. I've come by to tell you that God has not withdrawn his spirit from your life. And he has not withdrawn his calling from your life. Second thing I want to point out here is that Jesus already has Fish and chips cooking. Oh, yeah. He's already got the barbecue pit going. I don't know where he got the fish from. He's the one that told Peter on one occasion, go cast out your line. And about out of all the millions of fish, one particular one happened to have the coin in its mouth to pay taxes for the ministry. So I don't know how he got fish on the barbecue pit going, but I thought about that this week. And this truth came to my mind. Jesus already had fish which tells me whether we bring the fish we caught or not, the Lord's going to catch the fish. Sometimes we think it's some particular personality. And they're the ones doing all the ministry. Sometimes we get so focused upon a man that we think ministry's not happening anywhere else but there. Oh, yeah. I've been on the receiving end of people telling me I got to go to such and such a crusade for such and such a person to lay hands on me. Come on now. I'll be the first to stand up and say, you ain't got to travel nowhere. You're among the right people at the right time in the right place. Your miracle can happen now. Now. 
Jesus already has his fish all over the city and in the country, in the suburbs, and in the fields, in mega churches that have multiplied thousands, and in the little country churches, Jesus is still catching fish. And when this preacher is called home, he's going to send someone else. You don't think I know that already? You don't think I know that one day you're going to gather around my casket and you're going to say, man, he was an all right guy. He helped us do that, helped us do that. We, 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 we tolerated the sermons and, and you know, we, we loved his wife and his son. And, there, you know, we kind of got through it. And, and, you know, bring on the next guy. You know, you'll have a chicken leg in my memory. Who am I to begin to think for one moment that the Pulaski Church of God would, would sail or would go down because of my personality or anyone else in the house? I'm telling you, he raises up and he lowers down. He causes those that are abased to be raised up and he causes those that exalt themselves to be abased. What I'm trying to preach to you is that the gospel of this kingdom shall fill this whole earth. So whether we do it or not, God God's going to fulfill his plan. And yet, he still has fish that he's assigned you to catch and you to bring to the barbecue. Another observation I see here is that one can do with Christ what seven couldn't do without him. You go back and you look at that in verse 6. They couldn't draw the net of fish in, but so far because it was too heavy. The six disciples. But watch carefully. Peter has an encounter with the risen Lord, and in verse 11, Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes. I'm preaching to someone today that would love to do something for God, but you think you're weak, and yet the Scripture says to you, He takes the weak things to confound the mighty. I'm preaching to someone here that thinks, man, I didn't finish education. I'm kind of a foolish person. I'm telling you, He takes the foolish things to confound the wise. You, you need to... You need to have an encounter with the risen Savior. You say, okay, well, I'm serving the Lord. Well, then you, you need to kind of go back and, and have an encounter with the call of God upon your life. And quit listening to the lies of the devil. And rise up and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can I, can I really do that? I don't have a lot to offer. There's a scripture in Jeremiah that we don't, we don't talk about a lot. It's in Jeremiah 9, 23, and it says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But if you're going to glory in anything, glory in this, that you know me, saith the Lord. You don't have to have a nickel to your name and still be used mightily of God. And see, the calling's never been lifted. 
fourth observation I'll make, and I'm getting ready to close in a little bit, but listen. You can see that the calling on Peter's life is not only restored, but it's expanded. In Luke chapter 5, he was called to be fishers of men, which portrays evangelism, which symbolizes evangelism. But in John 21, he's not only called to catch fish, he's called to be a shepherd to the sheep, which symbolizes discipleship and nurturing. Well, I, I can't witness to anybody. Well, we've all been called to be fishers of men. And I believe that we've all been called to be disciplers and nurturers and mentors. I believe God wants you to latch on to some young believer that struggles with temptations. Take them under your wing. Spend time with them. Over coffee, over a meal, pray with them. Call them and text them. I'm going to make a bold statement. You can lose your salvation. You can leave your salvation. But you cannot lose your calling. There are backslidden preachers sitting at home today that do not have a relationship with God, but they're still called by God. Ah, it's a stretch, isn't it? Is it? Is it really? Not when the Bible backs it up. Romans chapter 11 and verse 29, not my opinion, his word, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. In the Greek, that word means irrevocable. The calling of God is irrevocable. God hasn't changed his mind. I don't know who I'm talking to. But God hasn't changed his mind about your calling. You can be out of fellowship with the Lord. Now, don't, don't put the cart before the horse. For you to fulfill your calling, you need to get back into a right relationship with God. But I'm telling you, you can be out of fellowship with Christ. But God has not given up on you fulfilling your call. That's an amazing, merciful God. Maybe you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus. But you have abandoned your call. Peter was restored. He was restored to the Lord. But he still needed to embrace 
that calling again. He still needed to have a fresh encounter with his calling. God has it. You know what? Well, the Lord loves me. And you know what? He still wants me to catch men. I remember I'm throwing the net over. We've been down this road. We've sailed these waters. He wants me to do it again. Something leaps inside of him when he catches this net full of fish because it takes him back to Luke chapter 5 when God first called him. We know the Lord forgives us. But sometimes we have to be convinced that he can still use us. We've made so many mistakes and committed so many sins and denied him and cursed him and swore him and walked away from him. And he's forgiven us and we feel cleansed. But then we get up from that altar of restoration and these thoughts begin to play in our mind again. Holy Ghost, I don't know who you're talking to, but the, the, the Lord is speaking to some hearts right now. He begins to whisper in our hearing again. Oh no, you blew it. You're not going to be able to stay the course. Best thing you can do is just go sit on the pew and, and, and just sit and, and, and don't do anything. Don't make a difference. You're probably going to blow it if you step out there again. I'm telling you, I'm sure Peter felt that way. But the Lord still said, let down your nets I haven't given up on your salvation and I haven't given up on your calling some music plays softly I didn't know this maybe you did When the light bulb was first invented, they got down to that final moment. It took Thomas Edison and a team of men, literally, 24 hours to put that bulb together. 24 hours to get down to that final moment. This was the masterpiece. This was the completion. When he was done, he gently reached over and handed it to a young helper. The young man carried it ever so slowly and ever so carefully. And he had to climb some steps. And he got to the top step. And he dropped it. As light bulbs do, they shatter into thousands of pieces. Everybody's aghast. Thomas Edison says, well, men, let's do it again. 24 hours again to make another bulb, to bring it to that place of completion. When it was completed, they're exhausted. Everybody in the room is exhausted and tired from the work. Do you know who he handed the bulb to? The same young man that carried it the first time. Peter, the night he denied Jesus, he dropped the light bulb. But Jesus restored him 
revived the call. And he didn't just carry a light bulb. He carried a flame of Pentecostal fire that touched the known world. You'd be surprised week after week how many people sit in church and all they do is consume. All they do is take. All they do is receive. There's various reasons why they're not walking in their calling. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they haven't seen the kind of fruitfulness that they thought they should have seen. I've had people say to me, I've heard people say, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to come to church. Oh, y'all heard that too. It seems like every time I try to get involved in something, I get hurt. I get wounded. And so I'm just going to come to church. I'm going to do my hour on Sunday. I'm going to go home. I'm going to mind my own business. I'm not going to get in anyone else's affairs. But yet there's still a calling. Still a calling. Still a calling. The Lord not only wants to restore, but He wants to revive the calling. I don't know who you are. You know, sometimes I I know that We look for dynamic altar calls. I grew up in church where my pastor, every service, the whole church came to the altar. Every service. We did. There was an initial altar call and then everyone else came. And I know sometimes it became a little ritualistic and routine. Sometimes it's necessary and needful. Sometimes it's important for us to step out, to stand out, and say, you know what? I want to be fruitful again. I used to pray. I don't pray like I used to pray. I used to witness. I don't witness like I used to witness. I used to sing in the choir. I used to teach in a class. I used to be involved in feeding the hungry. I don't do it anymore. Why? Calling of God hasn't been lifted. It hasn't changed. The same God that restores is the same God that revives the call within us. I don't know who needs to pray. Having said what I said a few moments ago, I will tell you, and I'm kind of rambling today. My wife's going to tell me I was long-winded today. having said what I said a few moments ago, I believe there are times that shouldn't have to be a general altar call. There should be so much conviction in the room that everybody should have a desire to pray. What's it like for you today? This moment, this moment. Okay, you know Jesus. You have a relationship with Jesus. Praise God. We're thankful for that, but here's the question. 
Are you being fruitful for Jesus? Are you catching fish for Jesus? Are you feeding sheep for Jesus? And if not, do you need to come and pray? It's not my business, it's you and the Lord. One day I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not going to be at the great white throne judgment. I will not be present for that. That'll be for the heathen. But I will be at the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to want to know what I did with my life after he saved me. My God, I feel the Holy Spirit in this place. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm just going to ask if you need to come and pray, whoever you are. Would you come? Anyone? Anyone needs to come and pray? Anyone just needs to, you need to stand for a few moments and recommit. You need to kneel and say, God, it's me. It's me. There was a time I used to be more fruitful than I am now. And today, I, I tell you, I, I just want to come back and say, Lord, the calling hasn't changed. I have a relationship with you. Maybe you're here this morning. You're already working in the kingdom. You want to do more. There's a hunger and a burning desire. You say, well, I'm retired now. But there's something burning inside of me. And I want God to open the right door. I want to continue to be fruitful. I appreciate these honest hearts. My God, my God. I want to be fruitful. You've called me to be fruitful. You've called me. You've chosen me. You've ordained me to bear much fruit. I want to do more. I want to do more. I'm not as quick as I used to be. Not as fast as I used to be. A body has limitations, but I want to do more. There's something burning inside of me. You've restored me now, God. Restore my calling. Revive my calling. They're at the altar and all over this house. Would you stand to your feet and throw your hands up to heaven and say, Jesus, use me. Here I am, Lord. I want to do more for you.